It's uh, good to uh, see you all here, um, and it's especially good to have James Swanson. For those of you who don't know James, he's been in our church for years. Before he went off to Cyprus um, as a missionary um, to build, to work with a church there, and he's responsible for that. Now, this isn't what was written on the schedule because those of you who are looking at the wall will see we've got nothing on the schedule. So I've, James has kindly agreed to give us an update, a short update, on what's happening in Cyprus. So we're going to do that first while we're waiting for the technology to catch up with us. So thank you very much, James. Thank you. Tony, I don't know if you noticed that. I'm going to take as long as that takes. Oh, <laughs> It's a huge privilege to, to be with you all uh, this morning, and uh, God willing, I'll be giving a, a more full update on Thursday uh, evening. But there was just three key things I wanted to mention to you this morning, and those of you that have been following what's happening, you, you may remember the name or know the name, Ulfet. Ulfet is an elderly lady. Uh, her and her family started worshipping with us a few months ago. She's a young believer. She's an older person. And she got COVID. And I think we're also thinking COVID is finished, but it's not. It's still kicking on in Cyprus. And Ulfa ended up in intensive care. And she was in intensive care. She was uh, being uh, on a nebulizer, not intubated, that's the word, intubated oxygen. And for all intents and purposes, uh, the family were preparing for uh, the worst. And this is a real test of the faith for the family. Uh, her Ulfet's daughter and son-in-law are believers. A grandson is a believer. But they're all very young in the faith. And from an Islamic background, death is absolutely horrendous. Because there is no hope whatsoever. And that was where their mindset was. And so they were in the challenge of, of, of coming to terms with the fact that mother may be, going, may be passing away, going on to be with Jesus in heaven. But at the same time, 40, 50, 60 years of this whole hopelessness was needing to be dealt with. Well, God was helping and preparing uh, her daughter, Semra, for, in her mind, the worst. But God had other plans. On the one hand, he's helping them see that this life isn't what it's all about. And we all have, who are trusting in Jesus, heaven to look forward to. But at the same time, God, in his kindness, has preserved Ulfet's life, she's out of intensive care, she's back on the ward, she is breathing for herself and she's gaining strength and without a shadow of a doubt that is uh, a miracle I think it was a miracle when it first was happening here in England with the, the treatment of COVID but certainly in Cyprus if you end up in intensive care there's not much chance of you coming out and so we as a church are delighting in that and, and praying for Ulfet that healing will be continued but just reminding us to pray for four young believers in the faith, people who are coming from a different culture, that there's so much for them to learn. And they can look forward to glory. And, and that's what we should all be looking forward to. Uh, today, our English-speaking service has finished. Our Turkish-speaking service will be happening uh, right now. And this morning, Manuel uh, was preaching. And a lot of you here have been supporting and praying for Manuel and, and financially supporting Manuel as an intern, as 
He's been doing online uh, seminary, studying God's Word, learning more about it. And I just wanted to thank you all for your support in that. And he's probably got another uh, five months with us. Uh, we're really encouraged with how he's progressing. And, and the big challenge for him is what next? What, what should he be doing next? And God willing, he will be going back to uh, Nigeria, but we don't know what that future looks like. But he would value uh, your prayers, just that the Lord would lead him and guide him uh, into what is next. And just as we've having that the service is there, the English-speaking finished and, and the Turkish-speaking happening, uh, in the prison, I'm not sure if it's right now, but in the prison there will be uh, a Sunday service happening, which is just incredible. Not official, but there's a lot of unofficial things happen in prisons. But this is an unofficial Sunday service where a few of the prisoners gather together around God's Word. And uh, English-speaking Africans predominantly there. And so I just want you to, to encourage you to pray that God will do his work in his way. And nothing, not even the barriers of a prison, can stop God's word going forward. And our prayer now is this morning that God's word will go forward with us here as it goes forward in Cyprus. Thank you, Tony. Uh, for those of you who are part of the church here, um, uh, there's a communion service this afternoon. And on Tuesday evening, we've got an extra time of prayer at Paul and Sue's house at 8 o'clock to pray specially for the camp. Well, it's great to have you campers here, and I couldn't stand up here without asking a question. So here's my question. Who is Bill Clinton? Hey, I've got someone who thinks he knows, yeah? So I didn't quite hear. He was a famous person. What was he famous for? Art? Not quite. Bill, Bill Clinton was the President of the United States of America. Now, actually, I didn't expect any of you to know that. But do you know what? Since he retired as president, people are paying $1,000 each to hear him speak. Now, given that you don't even know who the guy is, I very much doubt that you'd be wasting $1,000 of your money wanting to go to listen to him. But the great thing is that we are coming to one who is much greater than Bill Clinton. Because Bill Clinton can't do anything for us. Bill Clinton didn't make anything. But we're coming to the God who made everything, who controls everything. And best of all, we can come for free. So we've got a great privilege. Let's make the most of it as we come. So we're going to pray now, and then we're going to sing. Father God, we do thank you that we can pray to the God who made heaven and earth. The one who's so great and in control of everything. We thank you too that you know us. You know every detail in our lives. And we pray that 
our hearts, our minds, our lives will realise how great you are and you'll help us to respond to you in the right way. Amen. So we're going to sing about God in our song and then after that Tom is going to come and read to us from God's word. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing Who has made the ocean who has who has held the oceans in his hand? morning is from Psalm 32, page number 462. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curved with bit and bridle or I will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. Let's uh, sing again and praise God as we stand and talk about or sing about what he's made. As we sing, all heavens declare the glory of the risen Lord. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing. again so let's pray oh Lord our God we've uh, been singing about you and we thank you that you tell us to come to you with our needs and and Lord we all have one thing We, we all really really want to be happy And Lord, as James speaks to us about that later, Lord, I pray that you'll help us to listen. Oh Lord, you know that there are things that make us unhappy. And Lord, 
we pray for the people who are going through hard times. Oh Lord, you, you know how hard it is to be ill. You know how hard it is to have your mind full of things that are hurting you. You know how hard it is to be let down. Oh Lord, we pray that those people who are going through those things will be able to trust you, to know that you're in control, that you're good, and that you love them, and that you have promised that if they love you, that everything will work out for the very best. Father, we thank you that we've heard already about how you answer prayer, and we pray that you'll answer that prayer for all of us who are suffering. But, but too, Lord, we, we know that we're often not happy because we've looked for happiness in the wrong place. We've gone our own stupid way. We've done things that we know are bad. We've looked for happiness in places which we can't find happiness. Rather than looking to the God who gave us everything, the God who loves us, the God who has shown us the way to live, to know joy and peace. Oh Lord, we've done things that make us feel bad and guilty. Or we've looked for things that are useless when it comes to making us happy. Oh, we pray, Lord, that you'll forgive us. We ask that you'll turn us back to you. Oh Lord, we thank you that you say that if we say sorry... And mean it that you'll forgive us and that you'll restore that that good relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. And we pray that we'll know and value that more and more and that we'll enjoy being part of your family knowing that your love is forever and that you never leave your children. Oh Lord, we thank you that we can pray for others too. Lord, we thank you for Charlie and Bex's wedding and how that went so well. And we pray for them. We ask, Lord, that you will help them as they build their married life together. We pray that you'll be especially close to them. And we pray that you'll give them a sense of vision for what it means to be your children growing up and that they will be really useful and have happy and full lives in serving you. And Lord, we pray that for Joel and Joanna too, as they've recently been married. And Lord, we pray that for all of us. But we pray that especially for, for those who are starting off in life. Lord, I pray that you'll, have a, you'll give them a sense of what you want them to do. And you'll give them the courage and determination to do that. Oh Lord, we thank you for what we've heard about in Cyprus. Oh Lord, we thank you that your word is being looked at and read in the prison. Oh Lord, we pray that that will be powerful, effective and changing lives. Lord, we thank you that our history is no barrier to you. Oh Lord, we thank you that Jesus said he came to call sinners. And Lord, we pray that you'll show us what we're like when you look at us. 
so that we know that we need to come to you for forgiveness as sinners. Oh Lord, we thank you for the healing that we've heard about. We thank you that Manuel is preaching and being used and developed for carrying on your work. And Lord, we pray that you'll direct his plans and be be using him through his life. And Lord, we thank you we can pray for those who don't know you. Oh Lord, we pray that as we've got plans to go and talk at Alderbrook and to do that um, work there. Oh Lord, we pray that lots of people will go. We pray the weather will be suitable. But most of all, we pray that your voice will be heard. And as we look forward to a week of camp, oh Lord, we pray that everyone will have a great time. We pray that people will settle in well. We pray that they'll enjoy being together as a camp. But most of all, we pray that you will speak powerfully, that as your word is looked at, that people will hear your voice, and they'll hear your voice in a way that changes their lives, not just something that gets forgotten the following week. Oh Lord, we know that you promised your word doesn't return to you empty. And we pray that for every time your word is preached. We pray that you'll be helping James now as he speaks to us, that your word will come into our hearts and into our lives. And as our country is facing a time of change, a time of change of leader, oh Lord, we pray that you will give us somebody who is wise, somebody who is honest, somebody who cares. And Lord, we pray that you will be working in the hearts and lives of those in leadership to bless them to show them about you so that as they make their big decisions they're turning to you rather than turning to their own cleverness. Oh Lord, we don't deserve that as a country. Lord, we've spent so long running away from you. But Lord, we pray that you'll turn us back to you so that we please you and so we know what happiness means because happiness is knowing you and your power in our lives. And Lord, we pray that that will be something more of a reality for us. Amen. So, after our next song, James is going to come and speak to us. And we're talking about, we're singing in our next song about God's gift to us. And when we sing about God's gift of grace, we're talking about something he's giving to us that we don't deserve. And we're talking here really about Jesus, about God giving us Jesus who we didn't deserve. So when the music starts, let's stand and sing.
ready. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Sunshine, she's here, and you're on camp. You see, happiness is like a room without a roof. Oh, that could be a tent, couldn't it? Happiness is Cobra Camp Week. Happiness is eating fish and chips on the beach on the first day of your holiday. Not the last. On the first day of your holiday. Or as I read just this morning, happiness is a bike ride on a sunny day. Not too sunny. Sunny days in Cyprus, a bike ride would kill you. Happiness is enjoying the little things of life. Happiness is not out there, it's in you. Happiness is a journey. It's, it's not a destination. Happiness is a choice. You can choose to be happy. Can you? Uncle Google tells me you can choose to be happy. According to psychologists, very clever people with long titles, they say that happiness is defined, it's explained as a mixture of good emotions, of good experiences, and a deep sense of meaning and purpose to your life. But last year alone, over half a billion people, that's one in 14, yeah? That, that's about the gallery, almost, mathematically, yeah? Asked Google how to be happy. And I'm imagining today, right now, as you're sit, sat here, as I'm speaking to you, you're asking that same question. How can I be happy? Maybe your coming to camp was part of your wanting to be happy. Maybe even your being here today is striving to be happy. Maybe your happiness is in, in something else. Or, or maybe there's just an emptiness in your life. A darkness. A sadness. A suffering. An emptiness. And, and you are convinced that if you had some happiness, it would it'd make your life complete. And then some kind person just said, don't worry, be happy. Does that work for anyone here? Just don't worry. Be happy. We, we, we know that doesn't work, does it? Because the worries and the stuff in life just are so big and so intense. The psalm we read earlier, and the psalm we'll be looking at this morning, is all about being happy. And so if you have your Bibles, please do open them. Uh, that uh, Psalm 32 page 462. really encourage you to have your Bibles open so you can follow uh, where this is, this is going. And if you remember that psalm when it was read, you might be thinking to yourself, but I don't remember the word happy. I don't remember happiness. What is this all about? The guy at the front is saying Psalm 32 is all about being happy, but I didn't see the word happy in there. Well, blessed is the one in verse 1. Blessed is the man in verse 2. You see, that blessed could quite easily have been translated happy. It has the same meaning. Happy is the one. Happy is the man. And so we're going to go through this psalm 
this morning. And we're going to see what happiness is. But, but first of all, I want us to, to, to realize that happiness is robbed by sin. That's my first heading. Happiness is robbed by sin. I need to ask that, that question, what is sin? What is sin? Sin means different things to different people. And a lot of you here will have a different idea of, of what sin is. But most people accept, most people agree that sin is something that is bad. And it's something bad that somebody else has done. Yeah? We, we don't think about, oh, I'm a sinner. Yeah? We, we think of someone else as being a sinner. Maybe from the headlines of the newspaper. Oh, that paedophile, he is a sinner. That murderer, he is a sinner. That leader of whatever country. He is a sinner. But in all honesty, we, when we think about it, we, we probably do realize that we have sinned because, well, we all do, don't we? Now, when David uh, wrote this psalm, he, he was writing about sin. But he doesn't tell us what sin is. He doesn't give us a list of sins. He doesn't say this, that, and the other. Instead, what he does is he gives us four words. There's four words here. He gives us four different words. He doesn't say an axe murderer. He doesn't say a paedophile. He doesn't say an adulterer. He doesn't say someone who steals. He gives us four words to explain and, and, and develop sin. He says transgression in verse 1. Sin in verse 1 iniquity in verse 2 and deceit in verse 2 and so before we look at these words we just have to remember something really really important so important because if you get this wrong we get everything wrong you see often we think about sin as something you've done nasty to somebody else that person sinned against me. That person did something nasty to me. It's me, or I did something nasty to them, and it's a sin against them. You see, sin is against God. Now, you may not think that your sin is too serious, but it is. Because sin is against God, and he is your creator. And it's there in verse 2, he says, of whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It's the Lord that matters. Sin is against the Lord. See, transgression, big word, it just means to willfully rebel. Now, your parents could say, you've transgressed. What did I do? You went against the will of the house. You were told to tidy your bedroom, and you transgressed. You didn't. I'm not going to tidy my bedroom. That's willfully rebelling. But God's clearly told us and given us a list of things not to do. He said, not to murder. And all the campers are going, ding, haven't done that yet. I hope you never do. Steal. Probably about half of you might have got that one. Covet. You'll have all have wanted something that's not yours. It's the way it is. Someone here will have the top iPhone, won't they? And your little heart will go after it. And that's coveting. Boast lie, gossip. Whenever we do those things, we are in willful rebellion against God. It's transgression. The word sin is to miss the mark. 
you, you may have seen the archery and they've got the target and they aim to get the mark and it's to hit the centre. And anything less than centre is missing the mark. And God gives us marks to live by. God tells us to be holy, for I am holy. God tells us to be perfect, because he is perfect. God has told us to be sexually pure. God has told us these things. And to miss that mark is to sin. And then we have deceit. So, we have iniquity. Iniquity. You've probably heard of the word immoral. You've definitely heard of the word unfair, haven't you? you probably tell your mum she's been unfair half the time when your brother's got something or your sister's got something. That's not fair. Well, iniquity is when something is grossly unfair. See, God sets the standard of morality. God sets the standards of how we live. God sets the standard of fairness. And anything less than that is Iniquity. Anything less than that is sin. Then we have deceit in this verse. Deceit. And it's interesting, if we look at this word deceit and really understand what it means and go back to the original, it actually means treachery or means treason. And the best way of explaining treachery or treason is to think about what's happening in Ukraine. And just recently, there's been some high Ukrainian officials who've been accused of treason. And why are they being accused of treason? Why are they being accused of treachery? Because they're giving secrets to the Russians. They're not on the side of Ukraine. They're they're helping the Russians, and they're being treacherous. They're They're doing treason. And that's how God views our sin. Can you imagine if you were in Ukraine and your next-door neighbour was one of those politicians who was selling secrets or giving secrets to the Russians? How upset would you be? The whole of Ukraine was upset with them. And God is upset with us because our sin is treachery against him. We, We judge sin by a moral standard or a social standard or by personal standards. But God's just saying, no, this is sin. This is the deal. It is rebellion against God. We miss his standard, we cause him offence, and it's treachery. And what sin does is it separates us from God. You see, when God made the world, the world was without sin. There's no sin in the world, there's no treachery in the world, there was nothing, it was just perfect. There was Adam and Eve in this perfect world and everything was perfect. And there was one thing they were told not to do and the one thing they were told not to do they did and that was rebellion and that was treachery. And before they could hang out with God, before they could speak with God directly and after that, God couldn't look on them because God hates sin. And they hid themselves from God. And although before they could wander around in their natural state, afterwards God had to clothe them and cover them because their sin was there. You see, sin separates us from God, but sin has to be punished by God because God is holy, God is pure, and God is perfect. And so as we see what sin is, now we can see how sin robs us of happiness. I would imagine 
I would imagine for a lot of people here, sin gives you some momentarily pleasure. That's why we sin. That's why people sin. That's why you do wrong things. Because it gives you a buzz for the moment. It gives you something you want for a moment. It gives you a, a, an experience that you like. And, and, and there's a sense that some people say, well, if, you, if it feels good, do it. Enjoy it. It makes you happy. If it makes you happy, do it. But the real problem is this. Is the happiness that sin brings doesn't last. And, and David had a big problem. We're not told what David's sin was here. But what we are told is he, he had done something. And, he, and he, verse 3, it says, For when I kept silent. You see, he'd done something. He'd done something bad. He'd done something wrong. And he tried to hide it. He, he kept it silent. He kept it secret. No one else knew about it. It was there. It was secret. And, and it was not a problem. But it was a problem because this problem came inside him and grew bigger. And it says there that my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now this is picture language. Because his actual physical bones didn't waste away. But what he's saying was he was in pain. Because he knew that he had done something wrong. And it was painful. And, and we see this exact same picture language in Psalm 51. And we know what the sin was there. David had committed adultery. David had murdered somebody. David had caused all manner of problems. And in that psalm it tells us that God had broken his bones. It's picture language again. And, and this sense that David was, was feeling like he was wasting away, this sense that David was feeling like his bones were broken, was actually God speaking to him and saying, you've sinned. You've sinned. You've done something wrong. But David sees his broken bones as something that God did. And it's the result of guilt. And the guilt of sinning against God. And today, amongst you campers, amongst us all, there'll be dark secrets that have been hidden away. And those dark secrets that have been hidden away are robbing you of your happiness. That they're taking it away. Maybe you're living a double life. You, you enjoy what the world has to offer and your friends have to offer in school and, and when you're with them and, and you're just like them and you do all that they do and you, and, you, and, you, and you swear and you curse and you laugh at rude jokes and you look at pornography and you do all that kind of stuff. But when your parents are watching, cha-ching, you look good. Maybe you're mobile phone or your browser history is your big dark secret and it's there and there's a moment of viewing and there's a moment of pleasure and there's a moment of excitement and yet the rest of the time there's this big dark dirty secret that's eating you up 
Maybe you come here on Sunday and you look the part. And you smile and you shake hands and you wander around and, and you look like a good Christian. But you're cheating at work. You're cheating your tax return. You're making a bit of money on the side. You're cheating on your partner. You're cheating on God. And it doesn't bring you happiness. It eats you up. It eats you up and the more you do this stuff, the more you need this stuff, the more you try to fill up your happiness, the emptier it gets. You see, as David writes this psalm, he says in verse 4, for day and night your hand is heavy upon you. If you've got a guilty conscience this morning, praise God. That's God's hand upon you. If, if you're feeling dark and empty this morning, praise God. That's God speaking to you. You, you, need to, you need to feel that. David knew God's hand was on him. Day and night, his conscience of his guilt was getting the better of him. It was eating him up. It was making him feel painful. It was robbing him of his happiness. And that might be exactly where you are now. You are desperate for happiness. You are desperate for peace. You are desperate for purpose. And you just haven't got it. You've got an emptiness. And then what you do is you go back to your sin to get a bit more of it, to get a fix, to make you feel better. And it just makes it worse and worse and worse. And the next part of this verse makes sense now. You've had a hot summer. It makes me smile. Oh, we're having a hot summer in England. It's gone up to 30. Well, it might be a bit warm. I think we're at 40 at the moment in Cyprus. And we will be for all of July and all of August. But you've had a hot summer, yeah? And you get a sense of what it, your strength is dried up by the summer heat. It's difficult to, when you get past 38, it's difficult to function. And this is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, my strength has been taken away from me. And his strength was taken away from him. His joy was taken away from him. His happiness was being robbed by him, from him, because sin robs it. And I think what's really important to remember here when God does that, when God makes you feel the darkness and the emptiness, it's not God punishing you. It's God actually saying, listen to me. Listen. Listen. And, and it's painful because God's being gracious. It's strange, isn't it? It's painful because God is being gracious. That doesn't make sense, does it? We, we think that a gracious God should make everything better, but a gracious God makes things painful. You see, if someone is ill, if someone's got a cancer, if someone needs an operation, the doctor doesn't say, I'm not going to cut them open because that's going to be a bit painful. He gets the scalpel and he cuts them open and he rummages in there and he gets the cancer out and he gets rid of it. And he inflicts pain because he's being gracious, because that's the way to resolve the problem. And friends, your emptiness right now, that darkness that's in your heart, the pain that you feel is God speaking to you. And it's God saying there is sin. And sin is robbing you from your happiness. Sin is separating you from God. You're meant to be in relationship with God. That's why God created us. God created us at the beginning to be in relationship with him. And we shunned him. And because we're shunned and we're living a miserable, sad existence in this world that sometimes gives us amazing moments of joy, but also gives us so much heartache and so much suffering 
and so much pain and so much unhappiness. And how do we get back? See, God, through this stuff, is driving us back to himself. And we're told that happiness is found in forgiveness. Happiness is found in forgiveness. And so how do we get this forgiveness? Well, this is the way of forgiveness. It it sets it out for us in this psalm. In verse 5, the first thing the psalmist does, he acknowledges my sin to you. The first thing that you need to do, if you want to have your happiness restored with God, if you want your relationship restored with God, you have to acknowledge your sin. And the first step is to openly open up and take responsibility to it and acknowledge it. You've missed the mark. You've missed God's standards. You've missed it massively. You need to own up to it. You can't just say, I'm not as bad as him. You're probably worse. But you're hiding it. But that's not the point. The point is you need to come. You see, secondly, he says, I didn't cover my iniquity. interesting, Tony mentioned Clinton he did something really naughty and he desperately tried to cover it up and he told lies to cover it up and he got himself in serious trouble for trying to cover up the sin he did and what David is saying, I'm not going to cover it up I'm not going to hide it, yeah here God is my internet search history here God is the darkness of my heart you can see it Here, God, is my thoughts. Here, God, is the stuff that I don't want anyone to see. I'm not going to try and hide it. You see, trying to hide it is a fool's game because God sees everything. Nothing's hidden to him. You can hide it from your pastor. You can hide it from your parents. You can hide it from the person sat next to you. But you can't hide it from God. And if you want to be forgiven, you have to come to God and you have to acknowledge it and you have to open it and you have to say, God, I have a you. I'm not going to blame others. I'm not going to excuse myself. I'm going to confess it. I'm going to confess my sins to God. You need to tell God what you've done. He says, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I had a friend, a Catholic friend, when I was working in Bromley. And uh, she had to go to confession. That's when she used to tell the priest the sins that she'd done. I was quite intrigued by this whole process of going to a man and confessing your sins, and I think it could be a bit embarrassing. And so I said to her, and I was feeling brave one day, well, what about the embarrassing sins? And she said, oh, you just say, and various others. God wants you to open up and name that stuff. Name that sin. Take it to him. Confess it. Say it. Bring it on your lips. Take it out into the open. Get rid of it. Take it to God and confess it. You see, the wonder of this, when he acknowledged his sin, when he didn't cover it up, when he confessed it, the verse goes on to say, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, there's a promise here in God's word. If we bring our sins to him, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. You see, the way of doing this, the way of restoring our happiness, the way of it is is bringing this and taking it to God and confessing it. 
and, and opening up about it. And God has promised to forgive. You see, there's, there's a sign of forgiveness. And, and God doesn't just say to you, oh, I forgive you. There's, there's much more to it. It tells us here that, in verses 1 and 2, that the transgression is forgiven. And this forgiven word is meaning to be carried away. And the Bible somewhere else says it like this. It says, it's like to take it from the east is to the west. If any of your leaders, yeah, tell you that you're doing a run from the east to the west, or a walk from the east to the west, you're in serious trouble. Because that's infinity. It just goes on forever and ever and ever. And what God does with our sin is he removes it, he carries it away as far as the east is from the west. You see, we can't cover our sins, but God can cover our sins. The sin is covered. After the first sin, Adam and Eve, there was an animal that must have been killed and the skin was taken and it covered Adam and Eve. And the animal was killed and blood was shed and a sacrifice was made. And that's what has to happen for our sins to be covered. We come to God and ask for forgiveness. Christ's righteousness, Christ's goodness is being given to us. We are covered. He counts no iniquity. I don't know if you've had the frustration of this, but maybe you've, you've paid for something. Maybe there's a few of you, you've gone out and you've, you, you've, you've, you've paid for your 10-pin bowling, you've paid for your cinema ticket, and, and then someone comes to you and says, you haven't paid me yet, can I have some more? You get upset, don't you? If someone's wanting you to pay for something again, you, you don't want to be paying for something that you've already paid for. And what Jesus has done is he's paid the price for the sins of his people. He counts no iniquity. He's paid the price. He, he says, I'm not going to hold this against you. And, and you see, when someone is forgiven, as verse 2 tells us, he says that there is no deceit. He says, and in those whose spirit there is no deceit. There's deceit in your life. There's deceit in my life. But yet, when God changes our heart, he takes that deceit away. When God changes our heart, he covers us in his righteousness. And so it's like this. We were traitors to God. We were going our own way in rebellion. And God's saying, no, come back. I'm having you. God makes the change. And how do we get this forgiveness? How do we have this forgiveness? We've already said, we, we come and we repent and we ask for forgiveness and we don't hide ourselves. We, we come to him. But why will God forgive us? Well, in Colossians, in chapter 2, we get an insight of what has happened. You see, he will forgive us all our trespasses. He'll forgive us all our sins. And how did he do it? By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You've bought something. You, you, you managed to, to get that phone you wanted. You managed to get that device you wanted. You managed to get that car you wanted. You managed to get that house you wanted. And, and very often with those things there is a debt attached to it. Yeah, you don't actually physically own it because you haven't paid for it. And there's a demand. There's a demand for money, for payment for that. You see, you think 
sin is free. But it's not. Every sin that you or I have committed will be paid for. Every sin. And it's not a matter of going to your Monzo account or your Barclay card or, or to your mum and dad and saying, can I have some money to pay for it? Money cannot cover the cost of sin. And, and trying to be good and trying to make yourself better will never cover the cost of sin. The reality of the cost of sin is separation from God for eternity. The reality of the cost of sin is eternal punishment. That's the cost of sin. And what this verse is saying is that cost has been cancelled for those who've had their sins forgiven. That cost has been, the demand is no longer there because Jesus was nailed to the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus was there, he was taking the punishment that your sins, that my sins deserve. And if we go to God for forgiveness, if we come to him to be restored, he doesn't just say, oh, forget it, yeah, that's fine. That sin has been placed on Christ. And Christ on the cross, when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? was when the transaction took place. And so there's a huge cost for your forgiveness. But that forgiveness has been paid for Christ. You see, happiness is for now. Verse 6 tells us to ask for forgiveness now. There is a time now when it can be found. And there's an urgency now as, as I speak to you because I don't know if you'll have a tomorrow. And that may sound severe and harsh, but that is the truth. And that's the truth that I've learnt this year like I've never learned before. You cannot take this life for granted. Every moment, every second you have is a gift from God. And because it's a gift from God, this verse says that you can come to him and you can have forgiveness and you can be saved from your sins. But now is the time to do it. Don't put it off. Because you may not have tomorrow. And the campers are probably thinking, we will, but those people over there looking a bit grey and old. No one knows when they're going to die. But everyone knows today, this morning, that now is the time when Christ can be found. Now is the time when you can have true happiness. Now is the time when you can be reunited to God. Now is the moment you come to him and you confess your sins and you trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And now is the time for forgiveness. You may have been on the internet and, and, and you're shopping and then it says buy now while the stocks last or, or maybe there's a little counter going down putting pressure on you. It's going down, it's going down, it's going down and, and you want to buy it and you, you buy it before the counter goes out. Or, or the sign buy while stocks last. Salvation and forgiveness will not be on offer forever. And I don't know how long any of you's got. But what I do know is you're alive now. And now is the time.
to call. You see, it says there in that verse 6, it goes on, it says, uh, you should pray when he may be found. Surely in the rushing of great waters, they shall not reach him. There is a judgment day coming. The picture language of judgment day is this rushing of great waters. And if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour for your sins forgiven, you are safe. But if you're not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will be paying that price eternally. But it's not just happiness in an eternal sense. There's a happiness right now. And if you enjoy forgiveness now, you can enjoy happiness now. In verse 10 it says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright of heart. There is joy now if you know that your sins are forgiven. You see, even in the pain that this world gives, there can be happiness because you are forgiven and your eternity with God is secured. Even in the darkest of moments in this world, there can be happiness because of the steadfast love of God that surrounds those who trust him. You see, this happiness isn't in a moment. This happiness is in what Christ has done for us and what is going to happen to us. In the World War I, and I'm going to close with this illustration. In World War I, there was a steamer, an old ship, yeah? The big, the big st- steamships. And it was in the English Channel. And, and the story goes that uh, a submarine, a German U-boat, fired a torpedo at it. And then the captain of this Flickstone boat was there on the bridge and he saw the torpedo coming towards him. You could see it in the water. You could see the, the, the ripples coming and he saw where the U-boat was and this effectively was sure death. This effectively was a two, uh, a, uh, uh, what do you call those wretched things that go through? A torpedo coming to get him. Sorry. And it was coming. Uh, and he was saying, this is it. And everyone on the boat, even though they were in battle stations, knew that this was it. They were going to be destroyed. They were going to be obliterated. They could probably drown and lose their lives. And as this missile, this torpedo, was coming quicker and quicker and quicker towards them, suddenly something happened. It sort of flipped up out of the water, did a 180, and went back and took the U-boat out of action. And blew it up. And the captain apparently was on the deck and it was like, did that really happen? And that's what it's like if you've been forgiven. That's what it's like if you're trusting in Jesus. Everyone here who is not trusting in Jesus, that torpedo is coming for you and it's not a watery grave, it is an eternity without God. And when we confess our sins, when we trust on Jesus, it's like that torpedo turns around and gets the one who sent it. It's finished. And I can imagine on the deck of that boat there would have been joy. There would have been happiness. There would have been a little few jigs being danced around, wouldn't there? They were saved. 
And friends, if you are saved, you've got real happiness. Even in the darkness and the pain and the difficulty of this world which is real and horrible and nasty. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are right with God. The old has been taken away. The new has been established. The relationship that was broken has been put right. And so be glad in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Shout for joy. Be thankful. In all honesty, you don't have to worry. And you can be happy. Because Christ has taken the worry away. And the happiness is in the forgiveness that he brings. Let's pray. Almighty God, we live in a world that is full of unhappiness. We live in a world that's full of dark and dirty secrets. We live in a world that is far from you. No, Lord God, this morning there is a room full of people and we're divided and and some know you as their saviour. May they delight in you. May they rejoice in you. And may they know the fullness of happiness that you alone can bring. And dear Lord God, for those that don't know you, for those that are not trusting you, for those who are about to fall under your eternal wrath, oh Lord God, may they wake up. May you open their eyes. May you help them this morning to repent of their sins, to call upon your name, and to trust you as their saviour through Jesus. Oh Lord God, work in saving power, and may we all leave here this morning truly, truly happy. In Jesus' name we prayed. Amen. The musicians are going to come forward and they're going to uh, play our last hymn, our last song, which we'll sing together, and then I'll close in prayer. Thank you.
happiness is. No condemnation now, I dread. That's what happiness is. Happiness is an eternity secured in Christ. Almighty God, we thank you for what we've been able to sing. May each and every one be able to sing it from their hearts. And may we be able to leave here now with that thought resounding in our ears. Happiness is the fact that we don't dread condemnation. Because the sin that deserves it has been dealt with by Christ's blood on the cross. Oh Lord God, may we leave here truly happy. And those of us that are truly happy in Christ, may we live a truly happy life to your glory now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen.